Colin's writing on a uh, uh, a steno pad with crayons right now. I don't know what he's doing, but uh, once I just, he's I just ready, we should be good to go. Right. I just want I want you to know that that steno pad is going to be in a museum in twenty years. You bet. Okay. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, and with me tonight is... Jason. I'm Bill Jarvis. And tonight we are talking about the 2020 film Archive. Uh, Archive is a a recent British sci-fi film uh, (laughs) written and directed by Gavin Rothery. Starring Theo James, Stacey Martin, Rona Mitra, Peter Fernandino, Richard Glover, Leah Williams, and Toby Jones. I resent that. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> My British ancestry is just offensive. I'm British too. You... It's Mm-mm. not offensive if we're both British. No, 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 no. Just to clarify, his name is Peter Ferdinando. Ferdinando. What did I say? Ferdinando. Did I say Ferdinando? Ferdinando, I think. He's just like not cool enough to be World War One. Ferdinando. 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 All right. Well, thank you for that, Jason. Um, Oh, boy. I don't have a a budget for you. I I looked uh, casually. I didn't really get too far into it. I searched a few websites and they're like, (laughs) nah, dog. Uh, the box office was $242,000, $192, I suspect because of COVID. And also probably a limited release as well. Yeah, and also movies like this generally don't do well in the theaters. So, Sci- Yeah, sci-fi generally doesn't, unless it's like a blockbuster. Right, unless you got uh, big explosions, fast cars, and Harrison not, Ford. And not necessarily be, Hugh yeah. Jackman, as we learned. Right, no, definitely not Hugh Jackman anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, before we get too far into it, though, Bill, mm-hmm. uh, while you're eating your your delicious little fruit cup, thank you. Uh, what is this movie about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Twenty thirty eight, George Almore is working on a true human equivalent AI. His latest prototype is almost ready. This sensitive phase is also the riskiest. Especially as he has the goal that must be hidden at all cost. Being reunited with his dead wife. It's archive! Right, mate, you say archive. I say archive, ain't it? <laughs> right. Bill, that was a beautiful synopsis. Did you write that yourself? Yeah, I wrote it and then put it on the Wikipedia page. So, I think my favorite part about this movie is that everyone gets to do their, you know, their accent of origin, except for Theo. Theo's like, oh, it's great, so I could do a British accent. They're like, no, Theo. No. You can't. No. He's like, well, everyone else gets to do the accent. No, Theo. You have to play an American. He's like the opposite of, um, shit. 
who played uh, the Jedi girl from the latest series of Star Wars. Mm. Oh. Uh, Daisy Ridley? Daisy Ridley, yes. Mm-hmm. She got to use her British accent. Well, she used I her British accent. <laughs> if John Boyega tried using his, and they're just like, mm, no, mm-hmm. you better do American. No, 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 no. <laughs> they said, Theo, you need to be, you're a, a Midwestern roboticist that likes driving 1980s Lamborghinis. So how would that sound? <laughs> right on, mate. Right? Is that one more thing, Theo? You're like, you're like a sad James Franco. And then he just went into character. He's like, 100%, I know exactly what you want. Because <laughs> that's the vibe I got the entire time. I was like, this is just sad James Franco the entire time. I, uh, I had the, this uncanny, like, uh, I, I kept thinking of... Uh, Dude from Expanse. Mm. Oh God, yeah, that's what I kept uh, thinking. The guy of. who plays James I, Holden. I, I figured it out straight, for myself. Even straight. I figured yes, it out for yes. myself because um, Theo James is actually in Divergent. He played four in Divergent. I never saw the series. I um, did. Don't shame me. I'm not shaming you. I'm just not acknowledging the fact that you you said it with such confidence that you've seen Divergent. All right, boys, let me try to put out this dumpster fire. So uh, (laughs) I will say this. (laughs) Um, Going into the film, I know that Ben's uh, his kind of thing for us lately has been let's try to catch up on films that kind of were missed due to the pandemic. Uh, You know, we kind of were swept under the rug or maybe didn't get their due. And I hadn't heard of this movie at all uh, prior to looking it up. to, to actually watch it. So I wasn't really sure what I was in for. And it was one of those where I think just off of like the judge a book by its cover factor, I was thinking, Oh, this is probably not going to be like good, you know? And okay. It's, it's mainly focused around this one character and Theo James. I'm not familiar with him, you know, X, Y, Z, but I will say I was very pleasantly surprised by Theo James performance in the film. I think of, it being, you know, him kind of having to anchor this this film. Like if you had an actor who couldn't really handle that um, or, or couldn't really handle the weight of that much um, exposition on his shoulders or kind of carrying the proceedings, I don't think it would have worked as well as it did. Mm-hmm. So hats off to Theo James for his performance as George Almore. Um, because I thought he did a, a very good job. That was kind of my first uh, mm-hmm. my first thoughts in the movie. Probably very shortly in, I, I definitely already had that vibe that okay, yeah, he's he's doing he's doing a good job. I concur. So I think that Theo James, his acting kind of carried the role, but like the film in general, and you learn why at the end. There's kind of a reason why at the end, but it feels like there's just this weak plot that doesn't really pan out as well as I would have liked. I feel like there's some intrigue that is kind of there, but not really there. But other than that, I mean, the actor, Theo, he did a great job. So I concur. Especially when most of the time, uh, well, half the time, he's either by himself in a shot or he's talking with robots that can't, like, communicate back to him effectively. So he really did have to carry basically most of the scenes by himself. So. Yeah, it was no. pretty impressive. Honestly, um, you're right, because it was basically a one-man show for a lot of it. You're right. Yeah. Um, 
which I'm going to get into here in a second in terms of like inspirations for this. Uh, but while we're still talking about cast, I guess I just also want to bring up uh, Stacey Martin real quick. I also thought she did a pretty good job, um, mm-hmm. you know, acting in makeup is never easy. I think we take it for granted a lot when we watch movies and stuff. But she did a fine job for like that first bit where she was kind of like stationary and having to sit uh, in that ring thing without mm-hmm. legs. I thought she did a pretty good job with that stuff. Yeah, no, and I agree. And uh, just a quick note, I, I like the um, I like the practical effects. I like that there wasn't a ton of CG, which is kind of refreshing. I like I like practical effects when you can make it work, and I feel like they made it work really well with her makeup specifically. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, that was really impressive. When it comes to the the CG, I think they only used it when it's like, okay, we can't build this set. There's mm-hmm. no way we have the budget for that. So, like, all the exterior shots were CG. I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I don't know what the budget was, but they used it really well. Mm-hmm. No, I, I couldn't disagree with that. That's good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to say that, um, <clears throat> you know, there, there's two films that really kind of came to mind when comparing this, or at least as I was watching it, I, my mind was immediately drawn to, and that is uh, Ex Machina. And also Moon um, that just immediately kind of grabbed me just for the simple fact that I think they're both both those films are kind of set in a lone location, very kind of sparse production design. Um, You've got that single kind of main character, but then it's also dealing with a lot of the same ideas as far as AI and consciousness and all that type of stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into. But what I appreciate about all those movies were the great practical effects because so much of the the plot and and kind of the uh, suspension of disbelief really hinges on believable effects and the fact that those uh, those androids, um, I think it was J one and J two, were so like inelegant in their design, but also so believable. You know, you see all the the little uh, badges that say "warning hot." Or, you know, uh, all the fans and the little like servos and all that type of stuff. I just thought it was really uh, that that was a good piece of kind of like production design, I guess you could say, or special effects design, whoever created those, because you you could tell like that's a person in a suit that wearing all this apparatus, which was really cool that, you know, they kind of went that route instead of just going CGI, which I'm sure probably would have been a lot more cost effective or potentially more um you know easy to kind of navigate on set um it's funny you bring up moon um i don't know if you read this already uh but gavin rothery actually worked on moon he was uh, he's a graphic uh slash concept artist and moon was uh probably a big film for him so uh as soon as i started watching i didn't look up anything i was like this just screams of moon and uh it was really cool um a nice little nod to it and like you also said uh, ex machina it's 100 percent there uh as well you get like a a female ai that's yeah um also really good uh and then i i definitely got 2001 vibes but again we talked about moon so i guess it stems from that uh, and then there was that weird like blade runner hook because it takes place in japan in the future mm-hmm. you get like this neon like I don't know. You know when he like leaves to go to that bar, which was really weird, not a place. 
It was Space Tokyo. Space Tokyo. 2077. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, some of this movie definitely screams, this would be a really cool shot. I don't even care if it serves the plot. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, waterfalls. Waterfalls. <laughs> lots of waterfalls. Lots of aerial shots looking down. Um, I mean, the Hungarian countryside has never looked better, to be honest. Yeah. That's, that's where it was filmed. Hung- yeah, no. Hungary by way of Japan. Or Japan by way of Hungary. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, I think, I mean, the production is good. I mean, it's solid. You can't really like argue with that. You can't say like, I, you know, I couldn't say I disagree with that, but like, I think that a lot of that, like you say, the desolate sort of isolated setting, like in Moon, this sort of like idea of being trapped in your own space and being stuck in a box, literally, in the end. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like, and I really want to get into the characters, if that's okay. You mind if I have one that? request I would like to make of you, mm-hmm. both of you boys. Let's not discuss the big conceit at the end until the end. Okay. Let's talk about let's talk about the film as we watched it, because I I kind of would like to do that and not necessarily bring the big uh, the big twisty twisty Lou that comes at the end until then if we can. I mean, that's, that's actually a really fair point because it kind of puts a lens on the entire movie if you were to go through it a second time, which would impede the discussion of actually experiencing the film. So, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this guy building these, you know, very, very selfishly, you know, bringing these components of his dead wife into these, you know, J1, I mean, I imagine... That's kind of like torturous in a way. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just feel like I guess I guess what I mean to say is in my um, in my immediate sort of um, feelings about J1 is that like she's stuck in there. She's stuck in this bot. And like, how could he do this? And like, you know, you find out it's more of a template that he used. And so she sort of is inspired by Jules, but not Jules herself stuck in the body. So, like, it's excusable, I guess. But, I mean, understandable, you know, they feel, like, expo- you know, disposable. So, it's like, it feels like Theo was just really, really selfish in all of his motivations. You know, it's like, when you love somebody, do you love somebody for them or do you love them for yourself? And it feels like he loved her for his own purposes after she died because of the immense guilt that he felt. He wasn't able to move on. He just wanted her for himself, not for her. I don't know how to explain it better, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so you you said um, kind of, I think, the operant term here for the whole movie, which is selfish. And to me, that, you know, as I was watching the film, um, that really struck a chord because where I think Ben, if he was on the podcast and I would have the disagreement here is that I really felt for J2's character quite a bit. I thought they did a very good job in um, kind of highlighting that pain and that struggle that this synthetic consciousness was feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think 
the the film did a really good job kind of using that sci-fi conceit, right? Or or using the the kind of high concept sci-fi um framing device, I guess, of an android or of this kind of, you know, robotics expert messing around with with consciousness in a very effective way because from the very first time we're introduced to J2 we're not introduced to her like everything is is all right as rain and everything's fine in that relationship. I think the very first interaction they have is very, you know, well, well, what's, you know, what's wrong or what's wrong with me or what, you know, a lot of insecurity. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is before J3 is really even fleshed out and, has, you know, kind of takes on that advanced consciousness uh, that kind of is a, a more complete picture of his dead wife. Um, or those like capabilities, I guess you could say, but I I just thought that was really kind of heart wrenching, uh, watching just J2's arc because although Theo cares or seems to care, there's certainly scenes where, you know, we're a family, I'm going to take care of you, you know, we're going to do all these things in the end where it was the most important, he really didn't Mm -hmm. and ultimately didn't kind of didn't understand J2's feelings or maybe didn't understand what he had really created in terms of really, I guess, birthing this synthetic consciousness. Uh, And that's a theme that I've seen explored in a lot of media. I think the biggest for me that I always come back to is the game Soma by Frictional Games, uh, same developer that did like uh, Amnesia and all those. That really was a great exploration of a similar concept of can you digitize a consciousness and is it the same entity or if you're copying consciousness, uh, say you have a master copy of everything that makes me, me, and you put that into another vessel or you do that 10 different times, is that the same being or is it a different being? And I think that really, I, I love whenever that's explored and I feel like that was really what they were getting at an archive. So I was on board immediately. And I think that not, kind of taking that really dark detour that kind of ends J2's arc I thought was a uh, it was kind of a ballsy way to do that because it really does I mean I think George's character or Theo James's character George doesn't really grapple with that because I think at that point he's already kind of moved on to J3 and the implications of J3 but uh Really, you know, that blood, J2's blood, robot blood is is kind of on his hands. Mm. I just I really enjoy I thought that was a pretty rich um, kind of uh, scenario for those characters to be in. Yeah, no, and I I can't help but uh, concur with that because it's like you get this real consciousness, this real thing, whether it's the original or not, it's it's a consciousness. You know, it's 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 thinking, it's feeling, it's it's alive, and in many ways, many many ways, maybe not in a classical way, but in a very real way, and so, you know, they are objectively not as good as J three, you know, and it's like they realize that, and so there's a lot of insecurity that comes with that, and they are really feeling real insecurity with that, and it's kind of like he, I feel like he sort of. Theo, what I'm sorry, uh, George, um, kind of uh, rationalizes it to himself by saying, oh, but we're a family. You know, I created you, but that's because you're like my daughter. You know, like that's sort of a weird 
sort of roundabout way of doing it, and it like it's his way of rationalizing the insane thing that he's doing. The sort of like very, very, very selfish thing that he's doing. He says, well, I'm doing a good thing. I'm making a family. No, you're not. Um, but uh, so. So for for J1 and J2, like you said, I mean, feel for J2, especially as, you know, an immature version of Jules, the adult, a very immature version. And you put them through witnessing j3 being created and being a better version of yourself i mean how do you handle that you feel obsolete you feel useless so it's like yeah you've just built something to feel pain you've built something that just feels pain and like okay so the thing you said before about like if you take a consciousness and put it into a computer is it still a consciousness is a big big idea that a lot of people have and it's like there's a big question, which is the, um, I want to say the, the ship of Theseus. I think I've said it once or once or twice, but you know, the ship of Theseus is that like, you know, if you take a ship that's a hundred years old, but by the end of its journey, every single piece of the ship has been replaced because of repairs, maintenance, because it needed to be replaced, but it's still the same ship, but you've replaced everything about it piece by piece. Is it the same ship? Or is it something entirely different because it's made of different parts? So it's like, it serves the same function. Do you find define something by its function? So like a function being, you know, you know, you say something to Jules and she responds in Y way. You know, you say X thing, she responds in Y way. And there's a black box in between that we call consciousness. And so it's like the chip of Theseus is sort of like, um, you know, an example of people saying like, well, do you define something by the things it's made of or do you find something to find something about what it actually does and what it is so and so that's like sort of a big question with j3 in between is that like you know she is like a fully fleshed version of jewels but she's not jewels she's not the original jewels she's a template of jewels and so it's like but is she you know but is she a version that's worth existing and so it's like yeah, and so there's huge questions there about morality and the ethics of it. Yeah, I think you said something that was really good um, uh, a few minutes ago there, kind of in relation to the conversation we're having right now, mm -hmm. that he created these vessels or these entities, consciousness uh, is, I guess, and, and really all they can do is feel pain. And I think that was kind of the, the um, you know, uh, tinderbox that he was operating within because I, I don't think he, he, in one way, shape or form, he understood what he was doing, but I don't think he understood because he was so blinded by this pursuit that was kind of uh, leading him to this. He didn't realize that, you know, okay, the, especially J2, like these, these, or, you know, I would say organisms, but these like synthetic organisms that he's creating have feelings and they 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 care and they think independently of what they're being ordered to do so to your point like she just felt pain she felt that insecurity she felt that pain and then you know there are certain scenes which i thought were really good i mean they might have on paper seemed like throwaway things but the fact that they added them or thought it was important enough to mention like he was supposed to make j1 arms and he never did because he moved on to j2 
And then J2 was, you know, uh, removed its legs in order to, you know, use some component of that to create J3's legs. So then J2 has these like little stick legs that are, you know, inhibit its mobility and, and ability to get around everything else like that. And it's like, you know, well, yeah, we'll get to it when we can. I think it was, uh, the, the other part of that scene when he's talking with J3 and it's, well, I'm going to get you independent. Oh, how long is that going to take a few days? And then when J2 says, well, when are you going to fix my legs soon? Yeah. And I, that really yeah. like, I think encapsulates that, single-mindedness and the fact that he doesn't understand that he's playing God and he's playing it successfully. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that you have to take responsibility for these things you've created and, and they you've created these entities that have feelings. And are you going to be responsible for that and treat them like entities and individuals? Or are you going to kind of sweep them under the rug, which ultimately is what, what he did. Yeah. Well, I mean, the original story is just kind of like, it's kind of like a version of Frankenstein in a way is that he, you know, toys with something, some sort of science plays God and it's, you know, it's absolutely was not his place. He didn't stay in his track. And so it's like, <clears throat> is there, you know, is there something unnatural about that? You know, is there something unnatural and something that we should not step into is trying to create an organism, a creature with consciousness? Is that worthwhile? Should we just have that and we make tools that are going to help us or is it worth creating things that actually feel that potentially feel pain? If you create something that feels pain, aren't you responsible for their pain or are you, or are you just using them as a tool like, you know, George does. And like you said, like he said, he said, um, you know, we'll get you legs and you'll be fully independent. And I say, And he says, within days, and she says, days, and he says, yes, I promise. And like J2 is just like, yeah, soon, kid. Be quiet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Come on. Exactly. Well, and that, like, as a little aside, too, um, that was most of, I think, the big points I had on on that whole relationship. But Mm -hmm. that scene where J2 is wrapping up the affairs and kind of, you know, has been eyeballing the water and like, a that's a that was a very powerful scene when J two walks into the water and just that, that like that was extremely well done, but the the one that got me is when I keep wanting to say she, which mm-hmm. is very effective. I yeah. think that that means that that they created that character very effectively. But when J two is about to like walk out the door of the lab of the house or whatever, and like takes the the little puppy, um, you know. Uh, eight track or whatever the hell that thing is yeah, right. <laughs> and the little robot keychain, and like all these things that in its very meager, very isolated existence that it's, it's led. These are the things it loved. These were, th- this would be like, you know, someone is not to be morbid, but writing a suicide note and they take their favorite, you know, book and set it in a shoe box and, you know, their favorite possessions or take their wedding ring off and put it, you know, like this was J 2s possessions and things that it cared about or things that meant something to it. And I just thought, wow, how tragic. And all this stuff occurred and the protector, you know, George, um, the creator, George just was completely blind to it. Uh, and in that way, it's very, very tragic 
I think, relationship uh, or breakdown of that kind of like familial unit, however screwed up it was. Um, but that's all I got to say about that part. We've talked for a while. Colin, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I've just been enjoying the conversation. I, I, I don't have a ton to add. I mean, I don't know if we've already like grazed over it, but one of the big things I thought about was uh, just J3 and creating something like, as you said, Bill, that like feels uh, that develops her own entire personality. Only that George was going to replace her entire existence with his wife. Yeah. Was what it was like yeah. that to me. That just like, you know, we, we don't know what it's like to. I don't know. Until we're in those, those shoes. I don't I don't know if I could act like George did, but. I don't know. Yeah, he's just a dick. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, that's that's kind of like part of it is that like he, you know, he has all these flashbacks with his wife during his whole life. It's sort of like a sol, I think somebody said a Solaris kind of vibe to that, where he's just kind of like flashing back throughout the life, and then like, and then like to say, you know, I re- I need my real wife here. I need the real thing here, and it's like the real thing's dead. The real thing's gone. You know, it's like the, the, the archive is just a copy. The archive is just the closest you can get to a idea of what she was, but she's gone and she's not really here anymore. And so to say like you upload a consciousness, I think black mirror did this really well. The sort of idea of if you make a consciousness in a computer based upon your personality, well, they're just an entire consciousness just sitting out there. That's just a copy. And so it's like, it's just a copy. And it's like, and I think if, if Ben were here, I would want to instinctually disagree with him. I would say, I disagree with you, Ben, but I think I would wind up concurring with him with, you know, saying like, should we really create human like robots? He's his answer across the board is usually no, absolutely not. That's not something that we should make. And, you know, I might agree with that in a little bit. You know, I may agree with that a little bit. Don't tell him that, though. I hope he doesn't listen to this. He won't. Son of a bitch. Okay, perfect. You know what this reminds me of? Uh, The Island with uh, Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson, where we make clones that are literally just, like, for insurance purposes, like, you can harvest body parts from them as you need to. Mm Mm-hmm to be used but they are they are their own and they're person. their own personality their own people but they're just there to exist so that when you need to you can take things off their body which is literally what happens in this movie yeah well something that i wanted to bring up too uh and you touched on it a little bit there um i and i think that might have been colin touching on it might have been bill um but Basically, the the fact that the entire endgame here for George was to create a template or a vessel for Jules' consciousness to then bring her back. But, you know, he goes through kind of the the process of, um, you know, uploading or or transferring, I guess would probably be better because that's something I want to get to in a minute here. This is a different kind of medium from the archive to what he's doing with with AI and and kind of the uh, the brain finger quotes of J one, J two, J three. But he 
there's a few scenes where it's like he is trying to in some ways keep his distance from j3 as she's learning things as she's remembering things and kind of um <clears throat> discovering experiences she puts a record on she's dancing dance with me and then i think it all culminates with when she is in uh, she climbs into bed with yeah. him and it kind of mirrors a, a scene from a memory um and he sees her and I was at that moment, I'm thinking, where, where's the movie going to go with this is, are they going to get weird with it? Or is he going to recoil? Because the, the normal thing would be that you'd recoil and say, get out, which is what he did. So I was glad yeah. that they went that path with it. And it wasn't like they started doing, you know, um, it's a robot French kissing and shit like that. <laughs> that a whole different movie. You know what I mean? But my, my thing is to, to have that scene and to have the get out, but then to at the end say get in the chair you know and put the 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 flash drive in your you know your central processor and overwrite your consciousness really kind of shows how just conflicted and just i don't know like george is in a ditch like he's in a hole <laughs> and and it, i think it's very hard at that point for him to come out because you especially j3 you have like this is a the personhood i guess would be debatable in terms of your definition of personhood but this is a conscious entity now that you've created and to overwrite it or to you know recoil in one way at this thing that for all intents and purposes is a copy of the consciousness of your dead wife to then say no i'm going to overwrite this with just the original, the OG version of that from the archive, I think just really shows how lost he is. Uh, and he kind of lost the lost the forest for the trees, as it were. So I really I, I enjoyed I think what I'm getting at with a lot of the examples I brought up is I like those little things that they did all throughout kind of the plot of the movie. They were sprinkled in there, but that really kind of made you think and, and also made you realize how kind of morally gray the character we're following is, you know, he seems like this good guy. Um, and, and like, he's, you know, uh, trying to do this for, for some ends and, and we don't really have the full picture until the end of the film, but, uh, really it's just such a selfish enterprise, the whole film. It's, he's just so one tracked. And I think, um, you know, kind of is almost like the, uh, uh, what is it? Um, I'm trying to think of the, the myth um the guy goes to didn't we just we did that not too long ago i think with reminiscence right what was what's the oh, uh, uh uh that is more uh orpheus the yes orpheus kind, kind of almost a, a bit of a riff on that whole thing you know it's just that that one track mind um that's single-mindedness uh you kind of lose your humanity um in the process so i i really enjoyed that and then I, I guess the only other thing I wanted to bring up because it was another one of those small details. I really liked kind of the, I liked the idea behind the archive because they even make it a point to say it is not a digital manipulation or recreation of a consciousness. It's all analog. So I don't know if it's like a, a big server box or if like the body is in there and it's, it's they're artificially kind of keeping just the bare minimum of 
of life, I guess, if it can be called that, to where the consciousness is still active. I guess it is the future, so who knows if you know how they figured out to do this or whatever. But to me, um, I just thought that was like kind of a cool concept and maybe it's been done before, but not in anything I've seen. So I thought that the, the idea of the phone call and that, you know, uh, being able to kind of communicate in some way, shape or form, or I think one of the characters says wrap things up or, or wrap up, tie up your loose ends after you died was, was really just fascinating to me when I was watching. I just thought, wow, that's, that's, that's a pretty cool, um, contribution to greater sci-fi and I thought ultimately, without saying it, because I won't, we'll, we'll figure out when we're going to say that, but I thought it was interesting kind of the way that they twisted that into the plot as well. Yeah. And I, you know, my opinion is analog or digital or whatever. I mean, it's, it's not the body of Jules and her brain being alive in that moment. I mean, it's. It is what it is, you know, and it's all on how you want to think of it. Do you think of the function or do you think of the thing? And it's like, I feel like there's arguments for both. And it's like, <clears throat> yeah. And so it's like that. I mean, to me, it feels like she is still a copy, no matter how they try to twist it in my mind. That's what I think. In, in the archive, the, the version right. that's calling exactly. him. Exactly. I really do. Yeah. yeah, I really do think that. So whether they say analog or it's really them or whatever. So wait, so have we arrived at the the twist at the end yet? Or I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're there. All right, well, Jason, if you please. Yeah. So at the very end of the film, uh, after J three uh, kind of agrees to you know be overwritten, we have that scene, and then all of a sudden, um, <clears throat> when the security forces from the corporation should be busting the door down. We see that they've left and the archive begins to ring again, which shouldn't make any sense because now the consciousness of the original finger quotes, original jewels that existed in the archive should be downloaded into J3, effectively making J3 jewels. So nothing should be in that archive. And when uh, our character George picks up the phone, um, we find out that George actually was the one that died in the car crash and that uh, Jules and their daughter, who was born because Jules did not perish in the car crash as George thought, um, is now probably, what, three years old, two or three? Because I think the lifespan, they say more or less, isn't it like two or three years potentially mm -hmm. that yeah. uh, your archive can can you know last or whatever before you start uh it starts losing the signal or whatever um so yeah we find out that basically everything has been kind of this simulation that george has been living um and just kind of spending his days or his time in this simulation and when he was talking with jules it was actually jules in the real world talking with him um inside the archive so he's been dead the whole time, um, which in some ways, like obviously it, it trivializes a lot of what we saw in the movie. I don't think it necessarily takes away from the like philosophical discussion or, or kind of the points because, you know, it's still something he did, whether it was real or not. I think it was still uh, a situation he was in and a discussion to be had. But um, 
it's certainly i'll be honest i there was a few instances where like maybe there was a bit foreshadowed but when that happened i, I didn't really truly see it coming i didn't think it was going that way um there were only a few kind of like hints where i think it was uh, like toby jones character and like the corporate guys you find out it's like a recording and they don't have anyone there by that name and that, those types of things like I'm, I'm sure that by doing that they did create a few plot holes if we wanted to be really picky um but I, I didn't think it diminished the film in any way. I thought it was actually pretty, pretty clever, uh, pretty cleverly done. I thought. I don't know about what you guys thought. I don't. There, there was a couple things that I disagreed with, but I mean, I mean, the female part was underwritten, but I think that's because of the twist at the end. It's because it was his idea of who Jules was, which is probably not the fully fleshed character of Jules. So there's that flaw in him that's being portrayed as Jules. So I feel like that's one little thing, I, a nuance I want to say. Uh, for me, the twist at the end actually kind of saved the movie in a certain way. Um, if it didn't, I probably would have given this a lot uh, more unfavorable review. I, I guess that's the only way I, to, to put it. Uh, I think there's a lot of things um, that were predictable uh, a lot of sci-fi tropes, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence and stuff like this, uh, very predictable. And then at the end, that twist just made it all worth it to me, I guess. That's the only way to say that. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think that's a big part of why I didn't completely roll my eyes at this movie. You know, it's like, there were a lot of things where I was just like, Ugh. But like, and it felt like, you know, I was like, this is, you know, it's like a lot of, a lot of the points that they made were kind of like, I could see it from a mile away. Um, you know, J2 and, you know, J2 being, you know, feeling isolated and abandoned. And then J1 feeling, you know, being a child and being guided by everybody else. And it's like, you know, what does that say about George's? you know, guilt in himself. You know, what does that say about him sort of like projecting his guilt onto other people? And it's sort of like, he has to feel some sort of guilt about J1 and J2. He just hides it. You know, there's gotta be something in there that he feels guilty about. And so it's like, there's almost this intense guilt that he's obviously doing by trying to bring back his wife, you know, Jules, he's trying to bring back Jules because of the regret and, you know, the, anxiety and isolation of, you know, not having his person, you know, um, but also feeling like he's responsible for the death of his potential child and his, you know, and, and Jules. And it's like, for all of that to have happened, it kind of just says more about George than anybody else. <clears throat> all right. Yeah. Uh um, no, I, I agree with you guys. I think, you know, that it was a good twist. Um, and I thought it did kind of, it, it did wrap up the, the film in a really interesting way. Um, I think much more interesting way than, you know, had they, the robot bodyguards broken down the door and had been like a shootout or something like that. I thought it, it definitely kind of ended on a, a bit more of a, um, kind of a somber tone and, and, and definitely made you think about what came before. And, uh, I think, you know, tying into kind of what we do here, right. We talk about sci-fi and 
um, using science fiction as kind of a medium for uh, discussing those types of like real human problems. Uh, I I thought it did a good job with that given, you know, um, the resources they had and, and all that. I mean, is it, is it as profound or, or as good of just like a film in general as maybe what inspired it? Uh, the, the ex machinas, the moons, the, you know, like, no, not at all. I think those films were better explorations of a similar theme, but I would, I would say that this film kind of added its own piece to that. And I think it, it was more in, I guess, m- what my main point of kind of everything I've said this evening was in that it's, it's more kind of the devils in the details. I felt like there was a, a lot of good attention to detail in the way they told the story. It was a, kind of in those small things that it made its mark, if that makes sense. And I have one other thing that I noticed, and I think I'm, I'm done at that point, is that like what George wound up being is j2 he wound up being j2 in the end he was stuck in a box you know he was becoming obsolete after time and you know he was basically degrading over time and it's like you know to be and was that selfish of jules you know was that selfish of jules to have done that to him and then in you know as a sort of analogy or metaphor is what George did to J1 and J2 fair. And then at the same time, that exact idea goes to Jules and George. So it's like this whole roundabout thing of, you know, George is sort of like, sort of like projecting that idea onto these, uh, these copies or attempted copies. Yeah, it was just interesting. I just thought when you said that, not to like do a whole, I I promise I won't do a whole other aside, but I I didn't even put A and B together and maybe I would have on a second viewing, but that he keeps having all of these like technical difficulties in the facility. And that's just really symbolic of him losing that connection to the archive. And that was the other thing too, when that door opens and there's a jackal there, you know, jackals are typically symbols of death. I didn't even think yeah. about that. Yeah, so it okay. really yeah. kind of a lot of cool like details like that, that, you know, the, the systems were failing because the system was failing. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, it just kind of goes to the last point I made a lot of the cool kind of detail things that they added in there just to try to strengthen the, uh, the, the point of the story. So I, I definitely enjoyed that. All right. Well, boys, unless anyone else, has anything else to say? Let's real quick go around the table and say our good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. Jason? Yeah. Um, I guess I kind of just did that with the whole last uh, spiel. So, no, um, I thought it was it, it was a, a good film. It was it was a solid movie. You know, it wasn't the best movie we've, we've covered. But uh, I, I thought given some of the other fare that's probably similar in budget to this and maybe similar in scope, this one really got me, um, if not for necessarily you know, the tropiness of kind of what we, we said, there are a lot of tropes. There's a lot of things we've seen a million other times. Uh, a lot of those quiet moments, a lot of the character moments, especially with J2 really did resonate with me, really got me. Um, so I, I thought it was a, a good movie and I thought it was good sci-fi. It, it kind of was that textbook sci-fi where it really was an exploration of a theme kind of using this real high concept thing, you know, the, the magic box or whatever, as I think either you, Bill or Ben would call it but I thought that they did it in a way that was very kind of poignant and believable. So mm-hmm. good and good from old Jason tonight. 
Hell yeah. All right, Bill, what do you think? I'd say it's an okay film. It was kind of a drudge for me to get through. Um, I think the end kind of tied everything together a little bit. I'd say it's good sci-fi. There are good concepts in here. I'd say there's really good concepts and really good ideas. There's good drama in there that, you know, makes you think about what the character's feeling. But, you know, in the end, I think it's an okay film. You know, I watched it the ones. I don't really want to watch it again because I sort of get what happened. But like, yeah, I'd say it's good sci-fi with good concepts. Awesome. Um, I would agree with both of you that this is good sci-fi. Um, I thought the movie was really beautiful. That's the one like, big takeaway mm, yeah, I want to take from this. The movie was beautiful. It was well acted from everyone. Um, and yeah, like as I said before, um, the writing for me was a little predictable there's a lot of tropes in there but it all tied together nicely at the end and it's one of those things of if i were to go back and watch it again knowing now that george is dead the entire time that will completely change the experience of watching that movie i would probably notice a million things that i missed the first time so um especially like all the dream sequences i feel like the entire movie is just dream sequence after dream sequence um but you probably get to pick up on a lot of things that people are saying or doing um, so I, I probably will watch this again in the future. Um, I think it is worth giving it another look, knowing that now. But uh, yeah, great sci-fi, uh, good movie. Uh, yeah, I, if it was a longer movie, I probably would not have wanted to watch it again. But the fact that it only rings in at about 100 minutes, that's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, all right. Well, there you have it, folks. That is our uh, that's our takeaway from the movie Archive. Uh, give me one second while I double check what next week is. Um, now that we have a fully, we're doing the entire Spy Kids trilogy next week. Oh uh, no. yeah, I actually no. have a pants um, fitting, all sixteen hours of it. So it looks like we're doing the stand. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, what? Is, what's, we'll have what's, to see because there's an old mini series, there's a new mini series. Yeah, we'll have to check. It's probably the new mini series. Have to ask Benny Boy yeah. what that is. Yeah. Probably the well, new. Jess one. will be excited with that. I don't know if she's watched it yet. So was that a CBS production? What was it? I don't. I do not recall. Okay, we'll figure it out. I know Whoopi uh, Goldberg's in it. Um, yeah, we'll figure it out. So yeah, next week mm. we're probably going to do the stand. Um, oh nice. shit! And the week after that, we're supposed to be doing Automata. Finally. Yeah. If you enjoy robots and artificial intelligence uh, and you'd like a little sprinkling of Antonio Banderas on there, mm-hmm. get ready for an Automata because that movie rocks. I always like a nice sprinkling of Antonio Banderas. Well, good because this movie's fucking awesome. I wish you I guys are going to love it. Okay. Time to burn through the stand again, Stephen King, but let's just watch the series. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't do too well with them reading. Reading, words. reading books, and books, and I like watching uh, pictures that move. The pit, the moving pictures, and especially. Hey, did you see the ones that got sound with them too? Moving pictures with sound. Mm-hmm. God damn! What are they gonna come with next? What are they gonna do next? They gonna they gonna go to the moon or something? I don't know. Available in stereo where available. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, that's all we got time for. So I guess until next time. <laughs>